So we'll be in Luke in a couple places, starting off in chapter 4, so you can turn there. And this is called The Year of the Lord's Favor. So this happens with Jesus in Luke 4, starting in verse 16. It says this, And he came to Nazareth, that's his hometown, where he had been brought up, and as was a custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That's a Saturday. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And I think that's really cool, that this whole event that's about to go down uh, was kind of orchestrated by the Lord. Even in the way that the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him, he didn't go and get the scroll of Isaiah. Isn't that cool? Uh, So let's see what happens. So he stands up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is given to him, possibly by, you know, whoever the, the priests or the elders of the synagogue were, whoever's leading this whole thing. And the way things were, see, when we think of the scriptures, we think of a nice, neat, leather-bound book with gold-leafed pages, and every page has a number on it, and every book has chapters and verses, and it's all compiled, and it always starts with Genesis, and it always ends with Revelation, and isn't that nice that we have that? Well, that wasn't always the case. This is a more recent thing in history. At one point in time, every individual book of the Bible was a scroll. Right? And at one point in time, back during this time, they didn't even have the New Testament. So they just had the Old Testament, and they had uh, the law, or the Torah, and they had the writings, and they had uh, the prophets, the word of the prophet. Right? So, um, and each one was a scroll. So the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah is handed to Jesus. And he begins to read this. And this is actually from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right, that actually means something. Uh, so this is a quote of Isaiah 61. It's a quote of prophecy, meaning it's a quote of things to come. But here's what Jesus says. Right, when we hear these words, we think about something future. But Jesus says this, and he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say that um, to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So everything that I just read has been fulfilled right now. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And as they said that, they all turn to each other and they're like, isn't this Joseph's son? Right? Like, isn't this the little boy who grew up with Joseph and he was a carpenter from down the street? Isn't this just somebody that we know? How is he saying 
that with authority, these words from Isaiah 61 are fulfilled today. What he's almost saying is that this right now in your hearing, what you are experiencing, this is the beginning of the year of our Lord. He's proclaiming the year of our Lord. And he was proclaiming it to four groups of people mainly. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, and those who mourn. These are the people that are mentioned in Isaiah 61 that the year of the Lord is for. And what we begin to find out if we look deeply enough into it, and if we look to it with open ears, open eyes, and an open heart, is that each and every one of us are the poor and the brokenhearted and the captives and those who mourn. Each one of us is a prisoner. Each one of us has chains. Each one of us needs to be set free. And the people, when they heard these words, they marveled at the gracious nature of Jesus' words as he spoke them. And what's funny to find is anytime you read through the Gospels and you read how Jesus interacted with people, the only anger that he ever expressed was toward the people who weren't willing to accept that they were the poor and the brokenhearted and the captives and those who mourn. Those putting up a front in a pretense, those are the ones that he saved his harshest words for. And he saved his table-flipping actions for. And he saved his brandishing a whip of cords for. Those people. Right? Because people with a hard heart need hard words. People with a soft heart need gracious words. Right? And in that Isaiah 61, the year of the Lord is proclaimed. And it's this future coming day when the age to come ends or when this age ends and the age to come begins, when the future is brought into the now, or as we would say in our language, when heaven is brought into the now, because heaven is future, right? So this is what he's speaking of, and the language that he uses are, we hear these things that we've hear, we hear sometimes like, in the year of our Lord, this is when your ashes are going to be turned into something beautiful. Have you heard beauty for ashes? Right? Like it's some kind of comforting gesture. Like, don't worry, beauty for ashes. This is where it comes from. Isaiah 61. Like, don't you worry. You're sad right now, and it feels like everything you eat is bread made out of ashes. This is the language. And he said, but don't you worry, because these ashes that you eat are going to be made into something beautiful. Death to life. Reformed, transformed into something totally brand new. He says this, I am going to rise up former devastations. Right? You can imagine walking through a place or a land that's like devastated. You can imagine like, Buildings torn apart, families broken hearted, like it looks like war has happened in this place. And the Lord said, When I proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, these broken down buildings are going to be like brand new. I'm going to rise up devastations. He says, I am going to repair ruined cities. 
Like, you can imagine a city where there's maybe, like, crime and poverty and people turn against each other and people in conflict and the authorities are having a hard, difficult time with what's going on. And people in those cities are living according to fear and not the sense of security and safety that comes with a well-maintained city. Maybe the water's dirty. Maybe you can't trust anything. Maybe banks are getting robbed and going out of business. There's no sense of security saying these cities that people live in, and people live in cities, are going to be raised up into something completely brand new. And what's going to happen in the year of our Lord, when it comes, is my people who believe in me by faith, are going to be raised up in two things, righteousness and praise. The two things that characterize my people in the when the year of our Lord comes, are people going to be lifting up praises on the streets, coming out of the houses and their sense of uh, not having security and having to hide themselves away because of the things that are going on in the city. They're going to burst out of their house in acts of faith, in acts of righteousness, with clean hearts and with praise. And this city is going to rise up again brand new. And as their praises rise to heaven, heaven's going to come down and make this city all brand new. This is what's going to happen in the year of our Lord. And we could sum this all up in a word. Jubilee. You ever heard of the word jubilee? Right? It's a biblical word. It's also used outside the Bible. Jubilee means like extreme excitement, satisfaction, fulfillment, wholeness, completeness, beauty, joy, ecstatic. This is jubilee. In the Bible, we hear about a year called Jubilee. And that is also known as the year of our Lord. And what Jesus is saying is he's in the temple and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it up. He knows where he's going. He's like right there. This, this explanation of the year of our Lord has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jubilee is here. And we look we look at that and we're like, okay, this is like 2,000 years ago. It doesn't feel like it's Jubilee right now, right? It doesn't feel like heaven right now. So what's up? If this scripture was fulfilled in Jesus coming 2,000 years ago, why does it still feel like life hurts, right? In fact, why does it sometimes feel... In all of this, as I'm looking for wholeness, completeness, and satisfaction in life, why does it feel like heaven is asleep? Like I'm sitting here trying to get my spirit in the right place, and I'm singing, Jesus, take the wheel. And it's like Jesus is asleep in the passenger seat, knocked out. And I'm screaming at him like, Jesus! And he just rolls over, right? What is up? Okay, turn to Luke 8. Maybe this will help. So check this out. So this is like four chapters after what we just read. He said in the synagogue, 
The year of our Lord is upon us. What you've heard me read, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Heaven's here. The age to come has begun. Wholeness and completeness and jubilee is now and forever. Four chapters later, this is what happens. 8 verse 22 says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Pause. They are in danger. But let's back up two verses. What are the words of Jesus? What did he say before they even got into the boat? He said, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So Jesus said some kind of thing that they're going to do that day. Let us go to the other side of the lake. And then after he says those words, they find themselves in danger. So here's what happens, verse 24. And they went, and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing! So I can imagine them running across to the boat. They're filling up with water. The storm is raging. They've forgotten all about the fact that Jesus said, we're going to the other side of the lake. And if Jesus promises something like we're going to the other side of the lake, what do you suppose is going to happen? What? It's going to happen. Right? But they find themselves in what they think is a precarious situation, and they run to Jesus, wake him up, and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. Freaking out. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them these words, Where is your faith? And what is their faith that he is referring to? Well, at the moment, it's absent, but where is their faith supposed to be in this moment? The fact that Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. Hold up. So says they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another who then is this that he commands even the wind and the water and they obey him right so they're sitting there stunned mouths wide open one moment in one moment they were certain that they were going to die and in a split second, they were certain that they were not going to die. This is called, their faith became their sight. 
what God promised in their midst got transformed into reality. That day of the Lord that they thought was never going to come, came. That fact that Jesus said, we are going to the other side of the lake, and they didn't believe it, that was happening. And he says these words like, where is your faith? And their faith is restored when they see the power of the Lord. When they see that the wind and the waves obey him. You know, and I think of like, you know, when you see on movies or whatever, maybe you've seen it in real life where there's just like a sheer rock face and there's huge like waves going on and gray skies and all this stuff. And the waves are just <laughs> crashing into the side of the rocks. And you're like, man, I wouldn't want to be in the water right now because there is absolutely nothing I could do against those waves to keep them from crashing me into those rocks. Those waves obey him. This sinking boat was made to not sink. And I can't imagine how dumbfounded the disciples must have been when the wind and the waves obey him. And those words are still lingering in their mouths and in their minds, like, don't you care that we're going to die? Split second later, like, oh. Can you imagine? Can you put yourself in those shoes? So the question that they ask and the question that we need to ask is, who is this? Who is this guy? Same question that those guys back in the synagogue are asking when he says the year of the Lord has been fulfilled. This has been made reality in your midst. They go, who is this? Isn't this Joseph's son? Well, question. Why don't we like to get our hopes up? Yeah. Yeah, they're probably going to get crushed, right? Don't get your hopes up. They're just going to get crushed. What are you going to say? Yeah, they get let down. As soon as your hopes get lifted up, they get let down, right? Why should you put your hope in someone or something? You're always going to be let down. It's always going to fall apart. We don't like to get our hopes up because what we've experienced in this life is that everything we get our hopes up about fails us. Right? Maybe we've only experienced things of this earth and not something from heaven. Maybe the disciples got their hopes up when they said, when Jesus said, hey, we're going to the other side of the lake. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they see storm clouds in the sky, and they're like, whatever, we got Jesus. 
right? And they get out in the middle of the ocean, and the storm starts, and they go, oh, this is just going to be like every other experience I've ever had. He is going to let me down like every other person I've ever known. And their hopes get crushed. And they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And he wakes up and he goes, didn't you hear me say that we're going to the other side of the lake? And he's like, shh, they can't hear me. And the wind and the waves are just like, shh, still. And here's what happened in that moment when all this happened before their eyes. They became more afraid of God than their circumstances. Right? This is the fear of the Lord. Not that you're terrified of the Lord like he's going to hurt you. But that you're more afraid of God than your circumstances. And here's the promise of Jesus before they even got on the boat. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. And what did it turn out failed in the disciples? Their faith. Their faith in the promises of God. In other translations, oh ye of little faith. Here he says, where is your faith? Have you forgotten who I am? Have you been following me all this time? And you've seen what I've done. And then when you actually face the hard stuff, your faith is more talk than walk. It's more theory than reality. And I know that everybody in here faces hard times. Everybody does. But I pray that in the midst of our hard times, we would see the Lord and we would see his works and we would pause and we would go, who is this? And we would be more afraid of God than our circumstances. The day or, I'm sorry, the year of our Lord's favor is coming. It's the day of our complete and total salvation. We're like, yeah, I received salvation this many years ago. But some days it just doesn't feel like it. The year of our Lord's salvation is the completion of our salvation. And Ephesians 2, 8-10 says that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And remember when Jesus is proclaiming that these words have been fulfilled in their hearing? And they've remarked at the graciousness of Jesus' words? What he's saying is that there is coming a day of grace beyond anything that you have ever imagined that will wipe away tears from people's eyes, that will take the poor and the brokenhearted and the captives and those who mourn. And it will make them excited and joyful, alive, happy. But here's what it says in Ephesians. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
right? This grace is available to everyone, and there's no possible way that we can be saved by anything other than grace. But it is activated by faith. Right? To all who would believe. To all who would see Jesus and answer that question, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. That we would see him and we would see his grace and we would go, man, he is my king. Right? By grace, through faith. And I wonder how many times, I'm just thinking about me in particular, how many times am I going through life and I pray something and God's just like, yeah, I, I'm handling it. Like, where is your faith, though? Or, like, maybe one day I'm, like, riding strong on my faith wave, right? Like, surfing this gnarly wave. And the very next day I'm, like, down here, like, under the water getting tossed around. And I'm like, God, don't you care that I'm dying? And he's like, where is your faith? Is your, is your faith here for an instant and then gone? Because if I'm faithful to you, you can count on me. And if God is faithful to us, we can be faithful to him. We can have our hopes up about God. Because he's not going to let us down. But here's what he's doing every time that we think that he's asleep in the storm. Here's what he's doing. Because all we ever ask is, why and where are you? And maybe he's in the boat, right next to us, allowing exactly this to happen so that he can tear down our tyrannical self. So that something about us would die or be crucified. And that thing didn't belong there in the first place. The disciples say, don't you care that we're perishing? And he's like, the only thing, you are in my hands and nobody can snatch you from my hands. The only thing that's going to die today is the part of you that doesn't belong with me for eternity. Because nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hands. Because what we were made for is the year of our Lord's favor. We were created to be with God forever and ever. Amen. We were created for jubilee. When we experience this life and we go, what is this stuff? You weren't made for this. When we run to things, people, experiences in life and we try to get that satisfaction only found in Jesus, what we find out as we're let down time and time again and as our hopes get crushed is that you were made for something more than this. C.S. Lewis says, heaven or eternity is in every man's heart. And some of us have eternity in our hearts and we go and look for it in people. We're like, are you eternity? And then when they let us down, we're going to go, we go, there is no eternity. God doesn't love me. 
Well, that person's not God. There's a hole in your heart that only God satisfies. And he designed it so that nothing in this world could fill that up. We're made for jubilee. We're made for excitement. We're made for more than this. So let's live by faith in the year of our Lord's favor as if that is already a reality. Because when he said this is fulfilled in your midst, he said it's here now. And by faith, you will walk into its full completion. Amen? Let's be known as a people of faith. Let's be known that when everybody else is losing heart, we're like, hey, cheer up. We're going to keep going. We believe in our God who never lets us down. Let's be those people. All right? And let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness, for your kindness, for your caring concern for us. God, forgive us for when we lack faith, for when we look at life and say, where's God? Nowhere to be found. God, just cleanse us and fill us with a brand new faith. One that is full and complete and satisfied in you. God, I pray for us that we wouldn't find satisfaction in anything under the sun. And that would just draw us ever closer to you and your loving presence. God, let nothing in this world satisfy. But instead, let us find absolute excitement and jubilee in you forever and ever. Amen.